Welcome to Working Towards Our Purpose, a podcast that offers a different perspective on what a job can be. For everyone out there that's heard that voice in the back of their head asking for something more, it's time to listen to it. I'm your host, Gino, and join me as I interview people who have decided to work in their own purpose. Together, we will learn, become inspired, and hopefully find our own path towards working in our purpose. Joining me today is my friend, Derek Oxley, who is a business strategist, a coach, an author, and host of the Behind the Wheel podcast. Derek is on a mission to amplify the voices of others, and he's been someone who's always been inspiring to me when we're in conversations together. Derek, welcome to Working Towards Our Purpose. Thank you for having me, man. I, I appreciate it, Gino. Yeah, yeah. I'm excited about our conversation here today. Um, wh- why don't you just start with uh, a little bit, tell me in your own words uh, what you do and, and who you are. I'm an educator. I, I, you know, I, I use podcasting as a way to help people express themselves and amplify the voices of ordinary people who I believe are doing some extraordinary things in their communities. And um, I found that through, through a roundabout way, coming through corporate, starting in first in, in special education department back in Brooklyn, working with my mentor fresh out of high school, um, working in special ed department. And just watching how this leader impacted the lives of people inspired me to want to get into uh, to education. So I, I went down that path. Mm. Yeah. And so this is uh, after, after spending some time in, you know, running a dropout prevention program, worked with my mentor for four years. And then, you know, you learn and you're watching and observing. And at some point you want to get out of the nest and go and try to apply some of the lessons that you've learned. And uh, so I did that for um, a number of years in East New York, Brooklyn. They called me uh, Detective McGruff back then. I was not a cop, but I did wear a bow tie and um, traveled throughout East New York, knocking on doors, trying to get young people to come to school. Started off as an outreach worker, worked my way up to a case manager and then a, a senior case manager. And I probably would have stayed in that position for a while if my Director didn't say I had a welfare mentality. It's funny how words can can inspire you or can piss you off. And in this setting, it pissed me off. Got I was on the fifth floor. I ran down the stairs. Mind you, there's an elevator um, right outside my office. And instead of taking the elevator, I ran down a flight of steps to get in the car because I had to have this individual say it to me in my face. I don't know why. I don't know what I was thinking. It wasn't a confrontation. It just seemed so odd that somebody would say something. That's not a compliment. It's not, you know, I, I took it as a, it was like, it, it was it was a little offensive, a little surprising to hear, mainly because uh, the first year we started, we had a, um, we worked during the summer. So, you know, you, you, you'd have a, a summer program, you work during the year, and then the summertime, you have a summer program, you take the kids out on trips. And, and it was cool. It's like, oh, okay, this is almost like a full-time gig. You know, you come back, you have a, a couple of weeks before you return to school after the summer and start the school year all over again. And one of the things my mentor mentioned to me is, I mean, you start these programs, Derek, they, uh, they depend on funding. So the second year it started, he waited to the end of the year, the school year, and then he said, oh, by the way, we won't be having a summer program this year. And so now I'm like, wait a second. You know, my kids are young and I'm like, I got a family. Now, you know, you have these mixed emotions going on in your head. Like, Why didn't you tell me? So and we're in a meeting, you know, having cake and pastries and intimates cakes, not nothing, you know, special. <laughs> so I'm like, why am I sitting here wasting my time? Now, this is what I felt 
you could have told me this beforehand. And anyhow, so now I got to figure something out. So you fast forward to have the, the next year. I didn't wait to the end. You know, you, you talk about the power of relationships and developing relationships with the school staff. I was able to to uh, create a program that got us funding and got him a job for that summer. So when he said this to me, it's like as if I have a welfare mentality. It's like you you almost have to feel as though you need credit. And I was that was the type of person I was. I was petty back then, you know. Like I I needed to remind you, or I needed to get credit, and having approval was was important because it just seemed. It seemed odd. It seemed like a wrong that needed to be righted. And I wanted to just I wanted justification. I wanted to feel, you know, validated and looking for that. You don't. you don't. there's no validation. There's no you know, I didn't I didn't feel better after this conversation. You know, I I felt, you know, okay, a little relief or whatever. But I left and I realized that I had lost respect for him and I needed to find something else to do because I could no longer just come into work and act as though I respect this person when when I had lost respect for him. Yeah. Mm. So yeah, that's just a, a brief history. <laughs> yeah, no, that, that kind of uh, reminded me of the first big corporate job that I quit. I was there for like three years and same sort of thing. I like the things that my boss said to me just like didn't sit well and I started resenting him and uh, I had this whole like thing planned. And when I initially quit, I was like, I'm going to stick it to him. This is going to be the best feeling ever. And like, it <laughs> felt good for like a second. But then I saw that like he didn't care and I was like, oh, I can't do this for him. I have to do it for me. Like you have to get yeah. your own validation. You know what I mean? Like it's not going to, yeah. if he, even if he got upset and like was sad about it, like what's that going to do for me? Right. <laughs> yeah. um, so that, that's kind of funny. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. It was a good learning experience. Um, but yeah. So like when you were coming out of like high school and like, I guess as a kid, like what did you want to be? Did you have any dreams of like doing this or that as a kid or? You know, when I was um, was exploring, dabbling with different things, I picked up sewing um, as an experiment. You know, it was it was something I was interested in. Be- you know, my mother used to make my clothes, right? She made these. I remember she made these corduroy pants, and corduroy has a grain in in the fabric. And I was curious as to why these pants look different. The color was different because the grain was going a different direction. I remember rubbing my hands on my lap. And one grain was, it felt smooth one way and it felt a little rough. And I was, mommy, like these pants, something wrong with the pants. She was like, no, it's the same fabric. I'm like, no, there's something, I can feel the difference in the fabric. So that curiosity started me down this path. And I took sewing um, when I was in high school. And then there's this feeling of, you know, you're a dude, middle of the crack epidemic, sewing. That's really not, I I, I was, I wasn't secure enough, but I, I did it. I was sewing. And I went to, I remember going to the, um, going to the cleaners to figure out like what they were charging at. At one point, straight legs, before straight legs became like, like fashionable now, you can't even find a pair of flare legs unless you go to the thrift shop or whatever. But flare legs were the thing. And then as straight legs were coming out, companies weren't making them straight legs. You'd have to go and get them tapered. And so they would bring their pants to a cleaners. And I practiced making a straight line, you know, tapering people's pants. I was, I was the go-to person in the neighborhood. Everybody would bring their pants to me and I would taper them. So then I realized, oh, this sewing thing is not too bad. You know, it, I thought it was going to be, you know, you know, you, people look at you funny because it's sewing. It's not a traditional male role or so I thought. Um, And I ended up going to FIT, majored in patent making. And that, that skill that I, that I picked up in, uh, in high school, 
So there was a program in high school that you would spend some time as a high school student at FIT. And so when I graduated from high school, I, you know, I started going to uh, Brooklyn College first and then transferred to FIT. And I was, you know, majoring in pattern making. And that skill came in handy when I left uh, Colony South Brooklyn Houses and, you know, started sewing, you know. Hmm. Yeah. Interesting. Yeah. So I, I definitely have noticed that just, you know, knowing you for however long we've known each other, that mm-hmm. curiosity seems to be like a word that uh, maybe is important to you. It seems like you you follow that curiosity a lot. Um, and that's kind of been like my word of the years to to follow more so like the things that I'm interested in. Uh, I was going to ask you this a little later, but it kind of comes up now. Um, but you do so many different things, it seems, and there's so many different interests that you have. How do you decide like what to focus on or like what to work on? Um, do you use curiosity as kind of the, the thing to follow or do you have like some sort of more regimented schedule as far as like the content that you create and that sort of thing like how's that work the, the, as far as like the content i'm not regimented you know like i have a i realize when i have a routine when, uh, especially when i'm training for a marathon um so there's a set schedule you know on this day you know i have the schedule lined up for 16 or 18 weeks and you know what's going on each day and you kind of fill in the blanks around whatever my life like work life or whatever was going on. I make sure I got to get running on this day, speed work, track work, long run. And you have sort of like a routine that, that was sort of like the, the, the structure. And I know when I veer off from that, then I can pick up when I, okay, I'm, I might be feeling a little antsy or whatever, but as far as the content and how I go about creating it or what I find, how I balance out the, the interest, the varied interest is I don't, I don't follow trends necessarily. Because that kind of goes and comes, you know, it's things that I'm interested in or something that I think someone might find interesting. It may not necessarily be, you know, Gino, I thought you were interesting. You know, I thought, oh, okay, this guy's having a conversation with somebody else is doing, producing a podcast, or producing a show or talking about podcasting. That's, I'm, I'm interested in that. Well, how did you get started? You know, so hearing that story, I would follow down that, that, that path or it's as simple as a lawn sign. I saw a lawn sign that said um, Story Lab. I was like, what is the Story Lab? Like, what is, it just see it, it, the sign, it sounds intriguing. I had a big pencil on there. So I, I, I would pick up the phone, I would call it, what is the Story Lab? And come to find out, it's a shared co working space specifically for writers. Wow. And so now I'm like, oh, I got I to come and check this out. And going, and um, so it's, it's part of his curiosity, intuition, and following it because it. I've, I've, what I've learned is it, it leads to other things. And going and finding out about the Story Lab is um, I met the the founder um, Carol, and as we're having this conversation, they were in Westport. Now they relocated to Fairfield County. At the time, they were in Westport, fourth floor. I walked up the stairs. It's sort of like this, like low key. Abandoned, not abandoned, but not a very active building. And so I get to the top floor. A short white woman opens up the door and she doesn't look surprised. Right. So it's not like I've been around, you know, I'm accustomed to to being around people that that don't necessarily look like me in different settings. But I don't think the same is is can be said of people who are I'm I'm seeing this person in Westport, this black man, and he's some people seem, you know, shocked or surprised. You can tell they have limited interaction with different people. They haven't broadened their horizons. And so she there was none of that. 
so that she was in there by herself, which I don't know if I would let me in my space by myself. And I'm not a threatening person, but I could see having pause initially open up the door and there's this guy here and it's like, but she wasn't shocked. She wasn't surprised. We had a beautiful conversation. And afterwards she said, do you know Lorraine? I was like, no, she, she runs the Cardinal Sheehan Center. I think she would be a good person for you to meet. Her and Lorraine were friends. I'm like, okay, sure. And Lorraine runs the, um, the Cardinal Sheehan Center here in Bridgeport. And it's through following the curiosity of what is the story lab about? What is that? And making the phone call, taking, you know, a trip down to Westport to, you know, get going through a tour of this shared co-working space for writers and being genuinely interested. And in, I'm not I wasn't expecting anything because I didn't know who Carol was. I didn't know who Lorraine was at the time. I drive by the Cardinal Sheehan Center. I just thought it was sports. I'd never been inside. Uh, and as a result of that phone call, I now teach podcasting here at, at the Cardinal Sheehan Center. And so it's th- that that's part of what how I decide like what I'm going to use intuition, mm-hmm. some things. And it's not always looking. It's, it's I, I try to do things and not expecting anything in return. This way, I don't get disappointed. <laughs> yeah. Mm-hmm. Wow. That, that's an awesome story. And thanks for sharing that. that. See, every time I have a conversation with you, this always happens. <laughs> you always like the the words that you use are like words that are very relevant for me right now. Like no expectations, like intuition. It's been something that's over the past couple of weeks have been like very important to me, just kind of like letting things happen and then like mm-hmm. seeing simple signs that like reassure you like, yeah, that that was a good decision or that was the right decision or yeah. this is the path to keep following. Um, so I myself am, am trying to like lean more into that and like just go with like the feeling that, you, you know, like you, you said, intuition is something that yeah. I'm not normally used to or like trying to follow. I've I've always been like a very head person and like thinking about stuff logically. But, mm-hmm. but yeah, there's like you said, like if you weren't curious about that sign, you 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 know, you you didn't go into it thinking you were gonna yeah. get some sort of job, but like it just happened. Um yeah. so that's yeah, it's a that's like a perfect story to to uh put put all those words together for me. Um so I, I know that um at one point we talked about you having like a, a corporate job that you didn't like I guess I'm I'm more interested now in like how you transitioned into like what you do now. And like um, you said that teaching has always kind of been something that got you excited. What was your transition like from doing what you did 10 years ago to doing what you do now? And how is it ever evolving? It, it, it's continuing. To, it's, a, it's a great question. It's continuing to evolve, right? So while I was going through, before I made the, the jump from working in the classroom I started sewing, right? And and so that fashion, I felt knotted in a box. I was reaching for a um for for a tie, right? I felt knotted in a box. And I remember reading this book, Acres of Diamonds. And, and it's it's this story about this farmer who he's he he's going off in search of diamonds. He never did find the diamonds. He ends up committing suicide. Somebody on his land comes in and realizes that in his backyard is like the greatest diamond mine ever right there in his backyard. So I remember putting the book down and went and said, how could I apply this book to my life? And so I looked around and you're able to then tap back into your, your skills, talents, and abilities that you have. And how could I, how could I take a straight tie and turn it into a bow tie? So you talk about that curiosity. So the curiosity and, and wondering 
let me reverse engineer, take this straight tie apart and turn it into a bow tie. During the, during the years of me traveling back and forth from Brentwood to East New York, Brooklyn, I would pop management tapes in the CDs in of leadership marketing. But it was it was just and for me, it was personal development and trying to figure out, well, there's got to be an incentive for a kid. It's got to be something that they're interested in. And so how do you how do you there's a connection, I believe, between music and, and lyrics and jingles, right? Branding jingles, you know, something marble tastes good like a cigarette should or Virginia Slims. These jingles you remember and they stick in your head. And so how there's got to be a connection. Like, why is that? Why do we remember that phrase? Or what is this connection between music? You can hear a couple of bars of a song and then and it takes you back to where you were at that time or there's there's something about a scent and it reminds you of a person. I was just interested in those kinds of things, right? And so I would listen to these tapes. And so now you're consuming all this information over a period of time. And so it gave me the confidence, one, to say, okay, well, I don't know what's going to happen, but I know I can't do that. And um, there's this thing about alignment and making sure that you what you're saying and what you do and what you believe is uh, are, are one and the same. And when when it's when it's not connected, you'll have this internal discomfort. Right? You'll feel uneasy. I'm at this job. I really don't feel like being here. And it's not that I'm you're a disgruntled employee, but you know your heart is not in it. And you believe one thing deeply here. You're doing something that that's like you don't believe in. It's like working, you know, selling cigarettes and you believe, you know, that cigarettes are bad for people, but you you believe that they're bad for people, but you're still selling them. At some point, you got to make a decision that, okay, I can't, this is not, I can't be a part of this. I'm a, I'm a part of the problem. And you wonder like, why do I feel this ease? You know, there was this point where I'm feeling as though I'm spending time away from my family. But meanwhile, I was saying my family was important. So there's this disconnect. And when I made the decision, and I didn't make this decision, like if you would have never said that, I probably would have continued working there. But it forced me to stop and then rely, like figure out, like, what am I going to do? And it led from sewing. It gave me some time with my kids during the daytime. You're work, working with your hands. You're creating something. It, it causes you to like tap into a different part of your brain. You're creating, you're taking something that, that was once something. It was a tie, and now I'm making it a different kind of tie, or I'm, I'm adding that. It it just causes you to to think differently. And then while you're while you're sewing or you're washing dishes or something, you get a chance to to relax. It's therapeutic, you know. So while I'm doing that, I'm like I walk into a Kinko's to um to get some thank you cards because I figured it would be a nice touch. You know, I, I mail out the bow tie. To, to someone and put a thank you card inside of there. You know, you're picking up these tips from, you know, something I read, you know, just like the chocolate on, on the pillow. And so as I'm in this Kinko's, I'm having this conversation with the guy behind the counter, Bob Miller, and he starts telling me about Kinko's. Kinko's was a startup at the time. I didn't know it was a startup. I was from a different world. So now I'm in there and he's telling me about the founder and the guy had kinky here and started in California and, he said, you should send a sample of your ties to this hockey player. Now, I'm a black guy from Brooklyn. I don't play hockey. And so just the thought of him saying, he thought enough of me to say, yo, you should send this guy a sample of your ties. 
I thought that was a nice gesture. I thought that was cool. So I'm, I'm listening to this story. He's telling me about Kinko's. And I said, you know what? Let me find out about, it. you know, we're hiring. I'm like, really? And so I'm thinking, okay, I, I, I would make these ties during the day and I could do this overnight job and it would help balance out and make some of the difference, you know? So we, it was all cool until you tell them how much it was, how much they were paying. He said, we could do $8 and, uh, 50 cent night differential. And he's going through this, like this agonizing thing, just like, you know, $8 and 50 cent night difference. I'm like, 850. This was a huge pay cut, right? But I was like, okay, sure. I had I had gotten to a point where I had stopped worrying about what people thought. And mm. this was in alignment with where what I what I felt um I, it would be close. It was like a town over. So I saved some commute. I'm I'm starting to factor in, okay. All right. How much time was I spending on the road? Two hours there, two hours back. That's four hours, the wear and tear on the car. And you start doing all these calculations to justify like this decision. And I was like, okay, I'm doing it. And people will, I remember my, my in-laws were like, what, what is the Kinko's? Like, what are you doing? Why did you, you know, just the guessing. And I had, I was so like in my mind, this is what I'm doing. I'm not worrying about anybody else. I'm, I'm just going to go ahead this is what I feel like I need to do because if I'm doing that, the commute two hours there, two hours back, and I'm not spending any time at home, it's just like I'm not doing it. Three months later, I was they, they had a trainer's position posted, and I was and I applied for the job and I had gotten the job. And then 18 months later, there was another position posted for a manager and training position, and so I applied to that. And as I applied to that role they started shrinking the trainer's roles. So it wasn't like I saw the writing on the wall. It was just following intuition. And now I'm in a manager and training program and I help open up a bunch of branches in Long Island, Melville, Hicksville, Greenville, New Hyde Park, turn around a, a struggling branch. And um, so that that was the transition. But what I, what I realized is as you're going through like these changes, and you're making these decisions, you know, Stephen Covey talks about climbing the ladder of success and you get to the top uh, and you realize that the ladder was leaning against the wrong building. <laughs> right. And it was like, oh, man. And reading that, I was like, oh. I had gotten to to the top. It was like the number one branch in the market and the most improved branch. But because I was so focused on just proving my 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 district manager wrong at the time. I remember him saying, you know, I wouldn't have promoted you. And I'm like, with all due respect, it wasn't, it wasn't even your decision to make. You weren't here. Now you're new in this district. And so it's that that extra, like someone not believing in you and just saying, I don't, you can't do that. And now you're like, I'm a, I'm a show you. You know, that 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 becomes like cheap fuel. It'll get you started. But if that's what you're, if that's your your only motivation for doing it, then at some point you're going to burn out and it's not going to, it's not going to be lasting. You're not going to have lasting success. So I got to the top and then it was like, I had alienated everyone else that was around me. Right. So my, it, it, you know, married and, and just like thinking you don't believe in me. And so I'm not going to try to convince you any longer. And, and now it, it, it starts to create a wedge. Right. So if someone telling you about something in, and it's, it's in infancy stages and you don't see it. They don't see it, but you see it clear. And then it becomes, well, how, how can you not see this? Like, what is it? It's not your job 
to try to convince someone that what you're doing, what you feel led to do is the thing that you should be doing. It's not, it's not, that's not like part of the gig. Like when the assignment is was given to you, when the vision was shown to you, it wasn't, it wasn't like, so you're going to have to convince this person that this is the right. No, you don't. Don't, don't even dispense any energy on that. It, it's just, it's not for you. It's not for them. It's for you. And you, you know, you can be supportive, um, but you can, there was just this buildup of resentment, you know, that can occur if you're not careful uh, as you're going through this process of this change. And it's a change. You're making a transition from social work to uh, retail management, leadership, training and development. It's like two different worlds. And now you're expecting someone to see like what you see and feel what you, and, and it's not, is it realistic? I don't know. I, I, I'm, you have different people and I'm a Libra, right? And so for me, when I think of the sign, the Libra, it's like a, it's like, it reminds me of a bell curve, right? So you see on, on the, on the, fir- the latter end of the, uh, the bell curve over here is like, you have innovative people that, cu- you know, they just create stuff. They see things before it happens. The m- large majority of people are in the middle, right? So now after it becomes sort of like mainstream, then they're like, oh, everybody's got a podcast now. But when it initially started out, it was, you know, you had a few geeks who were, they're just, they're, they're creating this thing, they're doing this thing, they thought it was cool, and the RSS, and it, that was the feed, and they would tell these stories, this American life, and and those, that was, you had a very, it was a very controlled market, right? And when I heard about it, it was 07. And I remember bringing the idea to a district manager. It was at Kinko's. They would send out CDs, these training CDs. I'm like, why don't we just do a podcast? He's like, a podcast? Nah, we're not going to do that. They have a podcast now. <laughs> <laughs> of course. <laughs> but sometimes you can be you can be ahead of the curve, and sometimes you you can get you can get discouraged. And that's why I think it it's important to find your tribe, mm-hmm. find people who who are passionate about, who who have similar interests mm-hmm. that you have, because th- th- there'll be those, like, there'll be naysayers. If you're not careful, you'll wind up extinguishing your, your dream. They will wind up killing your dream in its infancy stages if you're not careful. And when you get the initial idea, you, you have to protect it because people will, 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 will tell you, what? And maybe it's because they're trying to protect you or they see the, the whole idea of you doing something. How has it been for you? You're, you're starting this, this show. What was it like for you? What are people, what are people saying to you about you, you left your job mm-hmm. to start this, yeah, this thing? I was, I was going to comment on that because that's I, you said something uh, previously that like you stopped worrying about what other people were thinking. And I think that's something that I've kind of learned. Like... I, I would always do it kind of quiet. Like I would just start and, you know, start with a couple people and then start kind of telling people. And then once you do something and then people see it, they're like, oh, that's really cool. But if you told, if you tell them too early, sometimes it could be, um, like you said, you know, put out your own fire. I, I, I learned quickly, I guess, that like, just don't tell, like when you meet the person that you're supposed to tell, you'll feel it. And then you'll automatically, you'll just tell them. You know what I mean? Like yeah. some of our first conversations, we just like, talked about these awesome, crazy ideas that we had. And like, 
that you just felt that, like I knew that you were receptive of that. And mm-hmm. most people I meet or most people, and it's hard sometimes too, because like you have friends that you've had for a long time, but you know that maybe they won't understand it in the same way that you will. And I kind of just ca- try to keep things separate and like yeah. know who I'm supposed to talk to about certain things and who I'm not. It's again, an intuit kind of a feeling thing, intuition maybe. Um, yeah. But yeah, yeah, I, I definitely, uh, I definitely feel what you're saying. <laughs> So we met at a, a networking event and mm-hmm. for me, networking and community and people just like we're talking about have been like exponential in, in my own personal growth or business growth or whatever you want to call it. Have, have you also had a similar experience with like community and, and people and like how, how does that affect your own um, path and your own visions of, of how, how you want to do things? Um, you meet different people. Like when I started, when I came to Connecticut, um, it was, you know, after coming through, like, go, you know, going through the divorce, you know, um, sort of a dark period in my life. I wasn't running. I was, wasn't doing, wasn't doing anything physical. So it was just work. And I had burnt myself out. You know, you can hold on to past hurt. Um, you can hold on, you know, have a misunderstanding of not caring about what people think. If you look up the word, like, apathetic and you're almost just hearing it you even not without even knowing what the word it means it just gives you sort of like a negative connotation and you know apathetic you know people are apathetic people who don't care about what other people you know other people's feelings they're considered apathetic and so it's almost like this negative connotation about not caring about the feelings of other people and there was a study said about uh People stop worrying about what people think around. They, they studied like 200 people or 2,000 people, I think it was, in London. And they said people stop caring about what people think about 46 when they get about 46 years old. I'm like, how much time has it lapsed? And you, you've gotten to a point where now you're like 46 and now you're just starting to care. You got to think you have to do that much earlier. And it doesn't mean like, yeah, I don't care. You're running roughshod over people's feelings. You have to be selfish enough to to realize like if you're on a plane and this, you know, you have to put your oxygen mask on first. And that's what they tell you, right? So why do we have, you have to wait until a crisis to realize you've got to take care of yourself first because you can't, we can't help anybody without our body. And if you're, if I'm not fully functioning, if I'm not a full human being, this whole thing of, oh, she completes me or he completes me. Uh, I think you're a complete individual already. They might compliment you, but having this whole idea of, you know, you're you're responsible for someone else's happiness and and you're really thinking about, people can use that to manipulate you to get what they want. And when you're no longer willing to to say, I'm going to do what you want to do because you're going to be happy. No, I'm not responsible for for your happiness. You're not responsible for my happiness. I have a, I have a life. You have a life and we're responsible to live out our lives and our purpose while we're here. You got to find, you got to figure that out. And if you're spending time like trying to please everyone else, you'll never figure out what you want to do. I, you can't wait till you're 46 to, to try to start figuring out. I mean, if you do, well, fine. But if you, you're 46 now, I'm no knocking nobody's 46. <laughs> I'm waiting that long, I think, would would do more harm than than good, you know. Um, 
And so just just being able to just figure out like, yo, it was it was not a it was not a good scene. So community, when I started running, I found the running community. Right. I found um I found something that um allowed me to to get into a rhythm, a routine, some balance. You need an outlet. You need an outlet, a hobby, something that is going to take your mind off of the pressures from work, something to think about. You're going out, you're going out on a trail and just the breathing, getting, you know, getting in tune with who you are, just movement. There's just something about movement, just to, just to sit a sedentary lifestyle, just sitting down all day, your hips get tight, you know, your hip flex, you don't feel you're so tired that you, all you want to do is, is sit, you know, your, your, your muscles, your glutes, are not activated any longer, you know, your posture, it just impacts so much of us. And by running, I found this running community and you start tapping in to, to my creative, like creativity, running and, and writing now my thoughts and trying to figure out, I think, you know, you had different like groups and I was always like, you know, why don't we, why can't we all come together? You know, I'm, I'm, that's, that's me not saying Kumbaya, but there's just something about you got a group over here and everybody's got their own little group and, and, but we're all doing this thing together. And some people like, I don't, you know, I don't really rock with those people and I don't really rock with those. You know, you have ultra marathoners, you know, these guys who are doing hundred miles. And then you have people who were doing, you know, maybe just a, a marathon, 26.2 miles. And you have some people who are doing 50 miles and you have people who are trail running. So then even within the running community, you got these little subgroups. And then you have people who are, who are fast, right? And then you have people who were bigger. So you have, you know, I'm like, well, don't discount this person because they're not like you. I'm an elite runner, you know, I don't, I don't run with music. Well, I run with, I like music. I'm sorry. I'm going to run with music. It, it helps me get out of my head. I'm thinking about the music, but you have all these things. And just to be able to understand um, differences and appreciate everyone else's difference. And when I think about marketing and you think about branding, when you, you try to appeal to everyone, you end up not appealing to anyone. So finding community was cool at first within the running community. I met some great people, interviewed tons of people um, from all over the world, some interesting stories. But I'm not a um, I'm not an elitist, right? So I, I'm not gonna, oh, just I just I just deal with this group. You know, I don't, I don't particularly I like, I don't, I don't, you know, I'm an ultra marathon. I don't really talk to people who do 5Ks. Well, you know, they're runners. Okay, you do a hundred miles. That's your that's your jam. That's what you enjoy doing. Somebody's just starting out and they're going from the couch to a five k, and that's a huge accomplishment for them. I'm I'm just glad you're out there running, right? And so finding community and understanding that that yeah that that's powerful. And even in in networking, I don't I don't really like the the smile. I, I'm an, I don't I'm allergic to BS. So I, I I break out in hives around BS. So it just yeah. so when I sense it, I just like okay, this is not for me, and let me let me uh let me move on. I don't you know mm-hmm. that's that's the type of person I am. I don't want to go and just with you smiling and what could I get from you? And and that's for some people that's what it is. Like what could I get from you? Mm-hmm. You know, and if and if you you become a pawn or they see you as 
a key to getting them where they want to go. And it's not a mutual exchange. It's, it's, I'm just more interested. Like what I'm curious about you as a person before we can even talk about business, whether or not I'm interested in doing any, if I don't even like you, you don't like me. We're never going to do business. It's not going to happen because you don't like me. Well, I don't like you. People do business with people who they like, but I, I can't be, I can't fake it because that's, that's a lot of acting. It's tiring. That's a lot of acting, <laughs> right? So, I mean, if, if I wanted to be an actor, then I should I should take acting classes, but I shouldn't pretend through life, going through life acting as though, you know, living your life like this is, I hate this job, but you're getting up and putting on this, this chair. Mm -hmm. Like, why? Why do that? Like, if that's not what you, why do that? Because that's what everybody else does. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah. No, I, I definitely resonate with that. <laughs> After experiencing both sides, I feel like uh, it took me a while to like force myself out of that. Sometimes it's a, you know, it's downstream and you're kind of just, it's hard to, to get out of the current, but, um, but yeah, no, I think, I think that's a good kind of depiction of like two choices that you have in life. Cause it is a choice. Yeah. So yeah. Um, I, we're kind of coming to the end of our time a little bit. I got a bunch more questions I want to ask you, but did you get into podcasting originally as like a, a runner's podcast? And cause I know at one point you had some sort of running podcast or was that behind the wheel at the beginning? How, how did that work? Behind the, I started it. Um, this, this person who I'd never met before Tina in Texas, I was doing these, these running, um, running recaps. So every week, um, as a way of sort of uniting the running community, I would take clips every Monday after the weekend, it's called metal Monday, right? So you have, you get people into like a routine. So after they run a race, you know that they're going to post their accomplishment. You know, they get their, their participation trophy, whether it's a triathlete, whether it's a marathon, an ultra marathon, a half marathon. They get a medal, they get the participation, and they're proud about it, and they showcase it. So I figured, okay, I will use that as a medium to kind of bring people together and use music to uh, get them to listen to whatever message I would write. So now I said, okay, now I got to figure out how to do a... Uh, I'll, I'll rap. I wasn't a rapper. So I had to figure out, well, I'm going to rap and I'm going to create a beat. And that's why I love Apple. So I got my garage on my phone, you know, and I got it on my iPad. And so I would use this to create a track for the mic. And now I'm using the microphone to, to write a story. And, and how can I tell a story about running in two to three minutes? And, and I, I just said, I would do it. So it ended up being for over like two years. And there's this sister, Tina, she kept, she said, you should do a podcast. You should do a podcast. And she kept saying this. And I was resistant to the idea of doing a podcast because when I thought about it in 07, this district manager was like, no, you shouldn't do it. So I was like, I don't revisit this thing. What am I going to do? Who am I going to talk to? So then I just started doing it. You know what, Gino, you got two phones. Do me a favor. I want to interview you, but you need two phones. So I'm going to put my phone in my pocket. I have my wire and I'm going to call you. And uh, I need you to use the other phone to record yourself. And so then I would take like the picture in picture, this image here, and then record, you know, post it inside of my clip. And I'll sync the two together. So at the beginning of the shows, I would have you say, I need you to do a countdown. Five, four, three, two, one. So I could have a marker. <laughs> and then we would, I would sync the conversation. I start record and 
that's how I did the first couple of episodes. And I just did it because teen, so she would stop telling me to um to do a podcast. And then as 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 I went on, then it was okay. I I thought your story was interesting. I got a chance to interview different people um, from all over the country, marathoners, doctors, uh, triathletes, project managers, just people from different walks of life. And it became in handy when I said, okay, this is, I don't want to just do running. I'm, I was always fascinated with entrepreneurship and business, marketing, management, leadership. Those are the topics that I'm that 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 really get me going. And I remember saying to uh, someone, like, we don't want to hear about all that. You know, we just want to have fun. And I'm like, I don't, I'm not a court jester. Like, I'm not just here. Entertainment is part of, of anything that you're going to be doing. But that's not, this is what interests me. And so I'm going to go with what interests me, not just to, I'm just here to be, you know, making skits and just funny stuff just to amuse you. Like, no, there's stuff that I'm interested in and it may not get enough. It might not was getting a, like a lot of views and clicks initially. I found like during like the, the presidential election or, and then during the riots, like that footage was was like tens of thousands of views. And like, but, but that's not what that's not where my heart is. You know what I mean? So you have to do have to do what I feel I've called led to do rather than just doing what. What's going to get uh what's going to get views mm -hmm. yeah i agree with that um so still a lot of questions i want to ask you but we're kind of coming to the end of our time so i want to give you a chance to uh kind of talk about the things that you do and the things that you're offering i know you got a book out there that you can download called mind your own business a quest for hidden gems uh you also have a podcast launch checklist that people can download um mm -hmm. what are some of the things that you're you know excited about going forward or some some things that you could tell people about the the coaching program for young people. It's it's more than just teaching them, you know, about taking them through the history of podcasting and then getting them to to share their stories and tell stories. So there's narrative podcasts. When I think of a podcast, I think of uh, you think think of an iceberg and the tip. I think we're just scratching the tip of the the surface with the interviews. There's so many different types of um, shows that could be produced. And there's there's nothing new under the sun, right? So I'm reaching because I wanted to. Um, so you think of these types of shows, right? So you had radio shows. Well, what's a a radio show? It's it's audio. It's a show, but it's it's audio. And this is what they this is how they used to do uh, shows. So I I really believe that there are, there are so many different types of podcasts. When people think of podcasts, they necessarily think of interviews. Two people, two guys, a, a group of people sitting down having a conversation and some banter, some laughter. And that's a show. But you also have you could have a, a radio quiz show. There's so many different types of shows that you could do that that you can create. So I think that's a, that's that's part of 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 what I'm, I'm interested in doing for young people and not just young people. It's, it's storytelling and it's storytelling if you're, you're selling a product. If it's storytelling, if you're selling a, a book, you're, you're teaching a class and helping people. How do I, how do I present my story? You'd be surprised how many people are are afraid of speaking in public, mm -hmm. right? They 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 freeze up. You, st you stick the camera in front of them, and then it's like, oh oh no, I you know I don't. They're overthinking stuff. And they they change. They don't. You listen. You edit podcasts and like um 
you know, a lot of filler. How do I, how do I stop that? How do I deliver a clear message so that someone can follow my train of thought and get to, oh, wow, I see what you're saying. You know, for a while, you just were talking to people's heads. You think I tell them more facts and like that? People don't care about facts. They have a feeling about something. And in their heart, they just, you know what? This is why Donald Trump won the election. Because you have a lot of people who, who are talking to people's heads, right? He was talking to people. He tapped into people's emotions and their feelings. And they felt as though, you know, they were being heard and seen. And so when you do that, you see what the result is. And people still feel, I'm going to tell you more facts about my product. And this, nobody cares about any of that, man. They don't care about any of that. So how do you get people to share, to, to tell their stories in a compelling way to whether it's selling a product or to just tell a story, um, to sell their ideas? I want to get my boss to, uh, you know, there's something that I've been thinking about and and I want to be able, how do I sell my idea to my leader? How do I, how do, I do this? in a way that that becomes, you know, where they say yes, or somebody's writing a check because they believe in your vision and they believe in you. Yeah. And also just kind of sums up nicely with something you said earlier about people buying from people and, and you working with people that you like and want to work with. Like people don't buy based off of stats or, you know, specifications they buy based off of, especially nowadays, like who the company is and who you are as a person. Um, yeah. So yeah, I think that's a that's a great point to uh, to kind of end on. And uh, thank you so much for sharing all of your wisdom and your story with us today. Thank you. Appreciate having you on here. And uh, hopefully, maybe we can have you back in some point and uh, talk more about all the things that you do. I appreciate it, man. Thanks for having me, Gino. Thanks for tuning in and listening to Working Towards Our Purpose. If you like this episode, please share it with a friend, and don't forget to subscribe for more episodes.